I'm Eddie Bates. We're sharing stories of Lutheran pastors and deaconesses and those serving in a specialized pastoral ministry, particularly chaplains. With me in studio today, Deaconess Gail Truesdell. She serves with Lutheran Senior Services. Deaconess Truesdell, welcome. Thank you. Glad to have some time with you in studio and to, to learn your story about why you became a, a deaconess and, and serving in chaplaincy with uh, Lutheran Senior Services. Tell me about life before becoming a deaconess. Well, I feel that I was very blessed. Um, my husband and I have seven children, and I was able to stay home and raise all seven of them. There's 18 years between our oldest and our youngest, so it was quite a long time. And as our youngest daughter uh, was in the seventh grade, I thought I needed to reinvent myself because my house would soon be empty. And I happened to read an article in the Lutheran Witness about deaconess ministry. Now, I don't think I'd ever really heard of deaconess ministry. Certainly, I had never, ever <laughs> envisioned myself in that field. Uh, but because there was a new program opening up at Concordia Seminary, I um, investigated it and then enrolled in the deaconess program at Concordia Seminary. And I was in the second class of graduates back in, 19, in 2006. Um, it's very difficult for a deaconess to get a call. Uh, most times, churches are hesitant to take deaconesses on. And secondly, uh, most many times deaconesses don't have the privilege of moving because of their husband's jobs. So I was blessed to have a mentor, uh, someone you may know, Joel Hempel, who pointed me in the direction of Lutheran Senior Services. And I uh, became the chaplain there uh, in 2006. When I started, uh, there was no money in the budget for me. And so I worked for free for six months. Um, it has been the most, re most rewarding job I think I could ever have had. And I feel that the Lord opened all those doors to bring me to where I am. I've been there now for uh, 11 years. When you first learned about the uh, vocation of deaconess, when you read that story in the Lutheran Witness about deaconesses and started thinking about it, what were the questions or perhaps even fears that you had about pursuing this? It, it, it became apparent that you wanted to pursue it, but what were the questions that you had initially or even along the way as you started to pursue this vocation? Well, I think like many women who are second career women, I wondered if I was smart enough to go to seminary. I had graduated from college back in 1973. And uh, between 1973 and 2003, a lot of time had passed. Uh, so I had to take the GRE, which I did, and I did quite well on it. And I took the entrance tests and did well on those, and I thought, well, this must be God's plan for me. Along the way, I don't think I ever doubted it. Although, as it got near the end of my seminary time, I was concerned and a little saddened that I might never have a call. And uh, I particularly enjoyed my residency at Lutheran Senior Services, which was my deaconess internship in CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education. Um, I decided along the way that while many folks think working in the parish is what a woman needs to do, I really feel that women are uniquely 
uniquely positioned to be deaconesses because we tend to be relational. And so many um, of what, so much of what I do at Merrimack Bluffs is relationally based, trying to help people to cope with the changes in their lives, most of which are not pleasant, even if they are expected, and to help their families to do more than just rationalize what's going on, but to accept and sometimes even embrace the, the death, the journey into death because of, of what it holds for Christians. As you began to pursue this, this, um, this new vocation of deaconess, what was the response from your family, from, from your children, from your husband, from other family members, as you shared with them that this was something you, you wanted to pursue? I don't think they were surprised. <laughs> um, my husband was incredibly supportive. My children were busy with their own lives and were only marginally involved, except for the two younger girls. Uh, I think they were happy to think I wouldn't be bothering them in their lives. <laughs> um, but um, my husband felt like it was a good change for me. I felt like it was a wonderful change for me. It kind of um, reinvented who I was, and I saw myself in a different light. Um, I'd always been kind of um, stay-at-home, take care of business. And now I had the opportunity to be away from home, taking care of other people's issues, not to fix them, but just to walk with them. How did those years at home as, as a mother and a wife, how did those years of experience at home, caring for your family, prepare you for this vocation in caring for others? I think I learned how to listen along the way. I learned with a large family that nothing in life is black and white and that there are always shades of gray. And in most people's lives, whether they want to recognize it or not, there are shades of gray that can sometimes be fearful. and We don't want to approach them. Um, I learned to be able to be sleepy, tired, exhausted, and still get to work in the morning. Sometimes I'm called that's what out. Moms do. <laughs> sometimes I'm called out to sit with someone who's dying in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. and yet I still have to be at work the next morning. And I think that that helped prepare me for that eventuality. Um, I think I was good at multitasking, and I find that one of the most exciting things about deaconess ministry in uh, a residential community is the fact that it is so varied, and you have to be able to do several things at one time. You have to be able to drop one thing if an emergency arises. And so I, I think that quarterbacking a big family prepared me for caring for a, an even bigger family. You mentioned earlier that you, in this vocation of deaconess and, and, and chaplain serving at Lutheran Senior Services, that you, you are there to serve and help people as they approach uh, things in, and encounter uh, times in their lives that, that are difficult, that uh, even if they're expected, they're, they're, they're not um, pleasant or they're, they're not what they were hoping for. How do, you, how do you care for them in those times? What does that look like as a deaconess? What are the ways that a deaconess cares for uh, those who are encountering difficult times in life or um, news that maybe even was expected, but still news that no one wants to get? First of all, um, a deaconess or a chaplain 
never rushes in and says, I have the answers to this. A chaplain, a deaconess chaplain, listens a lot and hears what's going on. Uh, Most everyone, well, probably everyone who lives in our community has experienced great losses in their lifetime. The loss of a spouse, loss of children, loss of a long-term home, loss of a driver's license. And every single person who moves into our community knows that it will be the last place they live. And so they know that they have basically come to die with us. We wouldn't market that, (laughs) but that's the truth. I find that our staff is often more put off by death than our residents. And so I listen to their concerns and their fears and try to let them find their own answers. Most times those answers are faith-based, but sometimes a man or a woman has moved away from faith, either because they feel God let them down or they feel God isn't really there anymore. How did I get to be 102? Where is God in this? My kids are gone. Why am I still here? To try and help them see the totality of what God's love and grace is. Um, I try to, to help everyone who lives in our community see that they are not bereft, that they're not cast off, that God still has a purpose for each of us. Um, I think Paul spoke to that when he said, uh, to die and be with Jesus is best of all, but as long as I'm here, I best be doing what he wants me to do. Each of our residents still has a job. And sometimes that important job is to pray for each other. Sometimes that important job is to show patience in the face of death. Sometimes that important job is to be a witness to others who've never seen Jesus at work and see them there, see him there as someone dies. A lot of our staff are not Christians. In fact, we have a large Muslim population who works for us. And, uh, It's very difficult to, we're not allowed to proselytize, nor would I ever want to. But sometimes the quiet witness of our residents speaks far louder than a sermon by our chaplains. Paint a picture for me. Uh, Share with me a story that really helps me understand what what it means to be a, a deaconess, to be a chaplain, serving in the way that you serve? We had a a woman who lived with us, and um, she was quite an amazing woman. Uh, In fact, she won a Nobel Prize in chemistry. She today has very advanced Parkinson's disease with the Lewy body dementia that goes with it. She's... um, very fragile, often bedridden. It has been my privilege to walk with this woman and to hear her story and to spread her story among our staff as an example of the people we take care of, as an example of how special the people we take care of are. The old bodies that we see house people who were young, vibrant, effective. 
Along the way, this woman lost her faith because for exactly the same things that made her outstanding, those things proved to be um, her Achilles heel. Why couldn't her intelligence, why couldn't her skills, why couldn't what she had become save her from this? We talked a lot about God's plans. And believe me, no one wants to hear that God's plan for them is to have Parkinson's disease and be in a wheelchair. So I never said that was God's plan for her. But We talked about what she could still do, where she was. And she began to come out of her room a little more, began to talk to other people, began to say, I think God is with me here. And other staff people came to me and said, what, what did you do with her? How did she get that way? I said, hmm, I don't think it was me. I think it was Jesus. Because I can't remember half of what I said to her. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. But um, her life was enriched. The lives around her were enriched. And I think that's what we see happening a lot, that people want to, want to be recognized, uh, want to be understood, want to be loved and I get to do all that how is your service as a deaconess your service to uh, to residents of of uh, the senior living community different from uh, from other helping professions a, a social worker or someone else in a, in a in a helping profession how might your work differ from theirs I think in my position, I have the opportunity to be an advocate for our residents and for our families in ways that maybe other staff members don't. Other staff members are there to represent the institution. The social workers are there to make sure that everything goes smoothly with Medicare and Medicaid and discharge and admissions. Uh, the nurses are there to make sure people are taken care of clinically. Uh, my role is to make sure that the residents and their families are heard. And my role is to sometimes talk, oftentimes talk with the residents and their families about the topics that no one wants to talk about. And that would be death and what comes after death. Uh, Many of my residents are not frightened of death, but they're frightened of the process of getting there. And so I'm able to reassure them that uh, with hospice provisions, there won't be pain, uh, that there won't be embarrassment, that should uh, they have some physical bodily reactions to death, they won't care because they won't be there. And it's amazing how that soothes the path, makes it easier for them to go home to heaven. Rarely does anyone tell me that they're afraid of death, but they are often afraid of dying. And so I get to walk through that with them. And that's a, a great privilege. It's a very intimate event uh, to be allowed inside a family circle when someone they love so very much is departing this earth. How do you, uh, you're not a lone ranger in your work. 
how does your service blend with or how do you partner with others to serve those in a senior living community? Partner with others at Merrimack Bluffs? Well, it's uh, staff members will come to me because sometimes they have better eyes on the situation than I do. Dining service folks, housekeeping folks, they'll come and say, so-and-so has been really unhappy for a few days. Would you mind visiting with them? Sometimes a resident will pass away and a staff person who was particularly close to that person will come to me and say, I can't understand this. Can you help me? Why did this have to happen? So we get to talk about Christian death and what it means. Uh, nurses will call me and ask me to go visit with patients, with residents who are irascible or difficult to deal with because um, sometimes just being a member of the clergy is very soothing to residents. Um, they'll swear at the nurse, but they certainly wouldn't swear at the chaplain. And so it, we work together as a team. Uh, I depend on the staff at Merrimack Bluffs to help me know where I need to be. And they depend on me to be where they want me to be. So if someone is dying at 2 o'clock in the morning, they'll call and I'll come in. And uh, that's just how it works. If someone were considering this vocation of deaconess, chaplain, particularly like you did in a second career, what advice would you have? for them as they might consider pursuing the, the, the education, the formation uh, to this vocation? I would encourage them to go forward with it. If the Lord is leading you to that ministry, he will direct you to it. Um, along the way, a person who's approaching chaplaincy will find strength and resources within themselves that they never knew they had. I do feel that Probably a deaconess chaplain um, is more effective uh, if she's in her late 30s or early 40s uh, because I think to deal with death in the frequency that we do, you need to have a little bit more life experience under your belt um, so that you don't ever take it in stride, but you accept it as a part of life's journey. I've seen hospice chaplains come and go um, and very, very young hospice chaplains are sometimes overwhelmed by the enormity and the quantity of death they face. Um, those of us who have seen more death in our own lives are sometimes better able to walk with it. Um, I don't would want to disparage anyone who's younger than that because there are always incredible people who can step up to that position. But I think that's been my experience. I was grateful to have had uh, some time to prepare and become the person I am before I stepped into this role of, of helping others to find who they are. My guest today, Deaconess Gail Truesdell. She serves as chaplain with Lutheran Senior Services. Deaconess Truesdell, thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you for having me. 